Ruth chapter 1 is the passage of Scripture we turn to this afternoon for our Scripture reading. Ruth chapter 1. The text is verses 6 through 18. We will not reread that passage. Ruth 1 verses 6 through 18. Read the whole chapter, Ruth chapter 1. Now it came to pass in the days when the judges ruled that there was a famine in the land. And a certain man of Bethlehem, Judah, went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. And the name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife, Naomi, and the name of his two sons, Malon and Chilion, Ephrathites of Bethlehem, Judah. And they came into the country of Moab and continued there. And Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left and her two sons. And they took them wives of the women of Moab, The name of the one was Orpah, and the name of the other, Ruth. And they dwelled there about ten years. And Malon and Chilion died also, both of them. And the woman was left of her two sons and her husband. Then she arose with her daughters-in-law, that she might return from the country of Moab. For she had heard in the country of Moab, how that the Lord had visited his people in giving them bread. Wherefore she went forth out of the place where she was, and her two daughters-in-law with her. And they went on the way to return unto the land of Judah. And Naomi said unto her two daughters-in-law, Go, return each to her mother's house. The Lord deal kindly with you, as ye have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant you that ye may find rest, each of you, in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voice and wept. And they said unto her, Surely we will return with thee unto thy people. And Naomi said, Turn again, my daughters. Why will ye go with me? Are there yet any more sons in my womb that they may be your husbands? Turn again, my daughters, go your way, for I am too old to have an husband. If I should say, I have hope, if I should have an husband also tonight, and should also bear sons, would ye tarry for them till they were grown? Would ye stay for them from having husbands? Nay, my daughters, for it grieveth me much for your sakes that the hand of the Lord is gone out against me. And they lifted up their voice and wept again. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clave unto her. And she said, and Naomi, and she said, Behold, thy sister-in-law is gone back unto her people and unto her gods. Return thou after thy sister-in-law. And Ruth said, Entreat me not to leave thee, or to return from following after thee. For whither thou goest, I will go. And where thou lodgest, I will lodge. Thy people shall be my people, and thy God my God. 
where thou diest, will I die, and there will I be buried. The Lord do so to me, and more also, if aught but death part thee and me. When she saw that she was steadfastly minded to go with her, then she left, speaking unto her. So they two went until they came to Bethlehem. And it came to pass, when they were come to Bethlehem, that all the city was moved about them. And they said, Is this Naomi? And she said unto them, Call me not Naomi, call me Mera, for the Almighty hath dealt very bitterly with me. I went out full, and the Lord hath brought me home again empty. Why then call ye me Naomi, seeing the Lord hath testified against me, and the Almighty hath afflicted me? So Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabitess, her daughter-in-law, with her, which returned out of the country of Moab. And they came to Bethlehem in the beginning of barley harvest. So far, we read God's holy and infallible word. Beloved in our Lord Jesus Christ, last week's Sunday we began our study of the book of Ruth by looking at Elimelech's decision to leave the country of Israel to go to the land of Moab. And we emphasized last week that that was a serious sin. It was a serious sin in multiple ways. First, with his decision to go to Moab, Elimelech decided to leave the church. He decided to give up the means of grace, to give up where the Lord was worshipped, so that in the place of Moab, he, he couldn't make any sacrifices to the Lord, and he couldn't fellowship with any of God's people. They weren't there. In addition, Moab itself was a thoroughly wicked nation. It was one of the chief enemies of Israel. And Moab was where Chemosh was worshipped. Chemosh, the idol god, who received the infant babes of the Moabites as the parents cast those babes into the fire. In addition, by leaving the land of Canaan, Elimelech was avoiding God's chastening hand upon him. Instead of learning to repent, and instead of calling his brothers and sisters in Israel to repent with him, he simply packed up his belongings and left. He simply turned his back on God and God's people when God's people were supposed to learn to repent. In addition, by leaving the land of Israel, Elimelech was teaching his own sons how to live and how to prioritize things in life. He was sinning against his own children. And he was sinning against his wife, not giving any thought to her spiritual well-being. Ultimately, Elimelech was not trusting God to provide his needs. Instead of trusting God, instead of actually listening to what God was telling him through the famine, Elimelech chose to do exactly what everyone else in the land was choosing to do. He was choosing to do what was right in his own eyes. Last week, we also saw how God visited Elimelech's family with devastating consequences. Elimelech died in the land of Moab. Then his two sons married heathen women. And then God doesn't give any children to those marriages for ten years. And then after ten years, both of those sons die without any children. So that by the time we get to the end of verse 5, all that's left is Naomi, 
without anyone to care for her or support her. No husband, no sons, completely empty. And in doing all these things, God was showing Naomi and her family the consequences of their decision to leave the church to pursue the bread of Moab. Yet in all these things, God was also showing Naomi his faithfulness. Instead of prospering her in the land of Moab, instead of giving her over to her sins, God uses these trials to bring Naomi to a sense of her sin and bring her back in repentance in repentance to the promised land of Canaan. This afternoon, we see partly how that return takes place, how it begins to take place. And this afternoon, we especially concentrate on the conversion of Ruth and Ruth's steadfast determination to return with Naomi to the land of Canaan. We take as our theme the conversion of Ruth. And we look at that theme under three points. First, we see a beautiful conversion. Second, we see an astonishing faith. And then third, we look at an important lesson. Naomi, in verse 6, we read, heard that God visited His people in Israel with bread. Evidently, God's people back in Bethlehem learned from the famine and learned to repent of their sins. And now the Lord visited them with bread once again. Now Naomi knows that she must do the same. She must repent and learn. So she decides to return to the land of Canaan. Following her are her two daughters-in-law, Orpah and Ruth. And obviously, these two daughters-in-law had a close connection with Naomi. Together, they had suffered very much. Together, they suffered the loss of the ones whom they loved. Not just men who could support them and their earthly life, but their husbands, men that they loved, their own family members. Evidently, there was a very close bond between Naomi and her two daughters-in-law because as they begin walking back to Canaan, Naomi tells her two daughters-in-law to return to Moab, and yet at first, both of them refuse. And what happens? Naomi kisses them to say goodbye, and they all lift up their voices and weep, And then they say, surely we will go with thee unto thy people. Both Ruth and Orpah seem ready to leave family, to leave all their culture, and go to the land of Canaan with Naomi. They love Naomi. But then Naomi says in verses 11 through 13, no, go back. Stay with your people. I can't give you another son to be your husband. And even if I could, would you wait that long? No, she says, Go back and stay with your people in Moab. And what Naomi is saying is this. If you come with me, your plight will be as mine. You will be as widows, and worse, you will be widows in a foreign land. There's no opportunity for you in Israel. You won't get married. No one will want to marry you. You're better off here in Moab. Stay in Moab. And from a mere earthly perspective, Naomi was right. If you take God out of the equation, the reality is there was no future in Israel for Ruth and Orpah. If they go with her to Israel, all they can expect is to be poor, childless widows. That's why Naomi also mentions the fact that she won't be able to provide for them 
another son. Because in reality, that's their only hope of getting married again. Only if Naomi can can give them another son, because no man in the land of Canaan will want to marry them. What's even more, the Jewish men and Jewish women would be inclined to shun these women. They would not receive these Moabitish women into their midst and welcome them. Not those who were truly Moabites, because God's people were called to be separate from the Moabites. In fact, in Deuteronomy 23, verse 3, God was very explicit when it came to the Moabites. In Deuteronomy 23, verse 3, we read, An Ammonite or Moabite shall not enter into the congregation of the Lord. Even to the tenth generation shall they not enter into the kingdom of the Lord forever. Naomi knows these things. Ruth and Orpah have no future as Moabites in the land of promise. And so Naomi commands her daughters to return to Moab. Back in Moab, you have a future. You'll be able to find a husband. You'll have someone who can care for you. You will be able to have bread and security and happiness. There's nothing for you in the land of Canaan. It's at this point we read that Orpah listens. Orpah considers what Naomi is saying, and she listens. She decides Naomi is right. At least in Moab, she has a future. There she has her extended family. There she has chances of getting married and finding earthly security or happiness. There in Moab, she has her idol god Chemosh, with whom she is familiar and whom she knows. She feels at home in Moab. Orpah returns. Orpah is content to stay there. Orpah loves Naomi, yes, but Orpah chooses to stay in Moab. There she has a future. But now when we turn to Ruth, when we turn to Ruth, we find something different. Something altogether astonishing and surprising. With Ruth, we find an an insistence to continue with Naomi to the land of Canaan. We read in verse 14, And they lifted up their voice and wept again. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clave unto her. And she said, Behold, thy sister-in-law has gone back unto her people and unto her gods. Return thou after thy sister-in-law. And then we come across those well-known words from verses 16 and 17. And Ruth said, Entreat me not to leave thee, or to return from following after thee. For whither thou goest, I will go. And where thou lodgest, I will lodge. Thy people, my people. And thy God, my God. Where thou diest, will I die. And there will I be buried. The Lord do so to me and more also, if aught but death part thee and me. In these words, we are very familiar with. Perhaps many of us know these words from a wedding occasion, a wedding passage. But now when we separate these words from that occasion of a wedding, and we look at them in their own context, as Ruth speaks these words to Naomi, hopefully we can appreciate the spiritual dimension and the significance of these words. What Ruth is saying is this, Naomi, stop it. Naomi, don't get in my way. Don't oppose me. 
That's really what the word entreat means at the beginning of verse 16. Entreat me not. It means don't oppose me. And what Ruth means is this. I'm going with you to the land of Canaan whether you like it or not. I will go. And what Ruth means is this. I'm not just going in order to be nice to you, Naomi. I'm not just going for your sake. I'm going because I have the same faith as you, Naomi. I'm going because this is what I need to do as a child of God. I need to go to the land of God's people. And that comes out in the language that Naomi uses. Notice the language in these verses. Notice, first of all, when Ruth says, Whither thou goest, I will go. Naomi doesn't say, or Ruth doesn't say, I'm going with you, Naomi. But Ruth says, Where you're going, that's where I'm going. Yes, I I will go with you, but not because of who you are, but because of where you're going. That's what matters. Not who I'm going with, but where we're going. Notice secondly, when Ruth says, Where thou lodgest, I will lodge. What Ruth is saying is this. This isn't going to be a short visit for me. I'm going to stay there, and I'm leaving Moab never to return. Really, we could say this. Ruth is telling Naomi that she will not go to Canaan in the same way that Naomi had come to Moab. Naomi had come to Moab to sojourn for a short time. That was her original intention. Ruth is not going to the land of Canaan to sojourn there. Ruth is going there to stay there. Notice thirdly when Ruth says, Thy people shall be my people and thy God my God. And notice that the words shall be are in italics. And that means that those words shall be are not in the original. And that means that we can translate it also this way. Thy people are my people. Not just shall be, but thy people, my people. Thy God is my God. With the force that Ruth says these words, we should understand Ruth is saying this. Naomi, your people are my people. Your God is my God. Naomi, I'm not just finding out to see who your God is. I'm not just telling you that I intend to make your God my God. No, Naomi, I know who your God is. I know who Jehovah is. You've talked about him. The whole world knows about him. And Naomi, he's my God too. Here's the thing. Ruth could have said the exact same thing as Orpah. She could have done the same thing. Go back to Moab, have a husband, have children to love. She knows that if she looks at it only from an earthly perspective, there are no prospects in Israel. She understands why Orpah has returned back to Moab. She understands it very well. But what Ruth is saying is this. At heart, I'm not a Moabitish woman anymore. At heart, I'm an Israelite woman. That's why I need to go with you, Naomi. Do not oppose me. Entreat me not to leave thee. Do not get in my way. Your people are my people, and your God is my God. And that's why Ruth continues and says, Where thou diest, will I die, and there will I be buried. Ruth is saying, In no way and to no degree Will I cut myself from God and from His people and from His promises? I will die there. 
she will not take one step back unto Moab and the idolatry and the sin that goes with it. And then Ruth says, very strikingly at the end of verse 17, the Lord do so and more to me, and more also, if aught but death, part thee and me. And here, Ruth uses the very name Jehovah. And here, Ruth takes a vow upon her lips with Jehovah's name. Ruth knows who Jehovah is. She takes his name upon her lips. She trusts in Jehovah as her God. And we need to recognize what Ruth is do- doing with this, with this decision is this. She's dashing to pieces the idol god of Chemosh. She's leaving and forsaking the idols. She's leaving that land of idolatry. Jehovah is her God. What is this? This is conversion. This is Ruth's conversion. The word conversion literally means a turning. A turning from sin to God. A turning from the path of idolatry to the true worship of Jehovah God. That's what Ruth is doing here. She's turning from the land of Moab to the land of Canaan. Turning away from Chemosh, whom she grew up worshiping, to the Lord. We can borrow the word, the words that the Apostle Paul uses to describe the conversion of the Thessalonians. In 1 Thessalonians 1 verse 9, Paul writes, For they themselves show of us what manner of entering in we had unto you, and how ye turned to God from idols to serve the living God, and the living and true God. That's what's going on with Ruth. How did this happen? Well, she must have learned something from Naomi during the ten years that they spent together in the land of Moab. After all, Naomi was a true child of God, and she must have shared her faith with her two daughters-in-law to some degree. But of course, ultimately, this was the work of God in the heart of Ruth. This is God gathering into his church one of his elect children. This is God giving Ruth a saving faith. This is God bringing into his church such as should be saved, one who has been appointed unto eternal life. And though there's great sin in all these circumstances, God, nevertheless, in his own inscrutable wisdom, even uses all of this sin to bring one of his elect into the church. This is Ruth's conversion. And this is what conversion looks like, beloved. In Matthew 16, verses 24 and 25, Jesus says, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it, and whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. In another passage, in Luke 14, Jesus says, If any man come to me and and hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters, yea, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. And then Jesus goes on in that same chapter and says, So likewise, whosoever he be of you, that forsaketh not all that he hath, he cannot be my disciple. What did Orpah do? She chose to save her life. To save her life in the land of Moab and make the most of it that she could make of it. What is Ruth deciding here? She is deciding to lose her entire life. 
lose her entire life, making all the sacrifices to become a disciple of Jesus Christ. She does it at considerable cost. Just try to appreciate what Ruth is doing here. She is fully cutting herself off from all her fleshly friends and relatives in order to have covenant fellowship with God in Jesus Christ. Just think, in Ruth's day, there was no FaceTime. There was no Skype. There was no writing letters. There was no email. There was no phone. Her ties with everything in her life up to this point were being completely severed. She's never going to see her mom and dad again, her brothers or sisters, her cousins, her, her hometown, the school where she went to. She's never going to see any of it again. And in addition, she's going to a land that she's never even been to before, to a people who are going to be inclined to shun her. She has no guarantee she's going to be received. Well, no guarantee when you look at it from an earthly perspective that she will be received. And she was willing to do it because she knew this is what she needed to do as a child of God. This is what God is calling her to do. Now, congregation, what Ruth had to do is exactly what every single one of God's people has to do today to one degree or another in their own way and in their own circumstances. I just finished reading a book about a man who was converted to Christianity from Islam. His name is Nabil Qureshi, if you've heard of him. And you read that book, and at the end of the book, you finally come to what that man had to go through when he finally was, was converted and then had to become public with his Christian faith. He lost his whole life. He lost his entire cultural background, everything, all his family, all his friends. He even had to go through the experience of bringing all kinds of shame upon his beloved parents because their whole community judged them for their own son's conversion to Christianity. These are his parents that he loves, and, and this is what he has to put upon his parents for his own Christian faith and conversion. And yet, in the end, the, the conclusion is that this is entirely worth the cost to, to go public. I need to go public because I'm gaining the Lord. This is what the Lord puts on me. I must confess Christ before men. And for every child of God to confess the truth and to stand for that truth in your own home, with your own extended family, at work, especially in these last days of apostasy, where our own family members and relatives are falling away. And we appear like the judgmental ones. It's hard. It will cost you. God makes demands upon the members of His covenant. Demands that are sometimes heavy and painful. But this is conversion. This is is what is involved in being a disciple of Jesus Christ. Because of the antithesis, because of what we talked about this morning, there are two kingdoms, the kingdom of, of light and righteousness and truth and the kingdom of darkness. And there is the reality of the antithesis. There is this opposition between these two kingdoms. And what is involved in true discipleship is, is forsaking 
the kingdom of darkness, forsaking the lie, forsaking the idols of the flesh, and living according to God's word, having him rule in me more and more, so that these are the experiences I go through as I make that prayer, thy kingdom come. This is who I am. I am a Christian. God has worked true faith in me, and I cannot deny it. I must go where he is. I must confess his name before men. What has he done for me in Christ Jesus if I'm not willing to confess his name before men? Is he not worthy of that honor? I must join myself to his people. This is my family. This is my home. Jesus is my Savior. Jesus is my Lord. He is God in the flesh. The the triune God is a triune God. And he's my God. Is that how you behave? Is that your confession in life? Is your commitment to Jesus Christ exclusive? Is your conversion proved each day again by turning away from sin, turning to to the path of righteousness, living a life of repentance and discipleship? Ruth, this poor, childless widow from the country of Moab, shows us what it looks like for her. Turning her back on her entire life, going forward into the unknown, decisively and forever. This is a beautiful conversion. As we continue looking at this passage, I want to point your attention not just to Ruth's beautiful conversion, but her astonishing faith. And we see that in a a special way, we see that even more when we turn our attention back to the way that Naomi speaks to her two daughters-in-law earlier in the passage. When we turn back to verses 8 and 9, and we see how Naomi speaks to her two daughter-in-laws, perhaps it, it raises questions. In verses 8 and 9, we read this, And Naomi said unto her two daughters-in-law, Go, Return each to her mother's house. Notice this language. The Lord deal kindly with you as ye have dealt with the dead and with me. Notice, the Lord grant you that ye may find rest, each of you in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them and they lifted up their voices and wept. We might ask, what is Naomi doing here? How are we to understand these words? Well, some understand Naomi simply to be testing Orpah and Ruth. Some say that Naomi is testing Orpah and Ruth because she wants to have some clear evidence of true faith before she takes them with her to the promised land of Canaan. I think that's a wrong interpretation. I don't think that's the case. Yes, her words do end up being a severe test of Ruth's faith. But it seems quite clear from how she speaks and how they interact that Naomi seriously intends for her daughters-in-law to stay in Moab. She doesn't want them to come with. She wants them to stay in Moab. The conclusion that we must come to is that Naomi, in these words, is very weak in her faith. Just think of it. Naomi knows that if these women stay in Moab, 
their souls will perish in hell. She knows that if they stay in Moab, they will be worshiping idols. What she should have done is called them to put their trust in Jehovah God, abandon their idol worship, leave their families, and come with her to the land of Canaan. There alone is where the true worship of God is is found. There alone is where salvation is found. But she doesn't do that. She tells them to stay in Moab. The advice she gives them is wretched, despicable advice that leads down the path to sin and death. And the way way that she talks is foolish. Notice verse 9. The Lord grant you that ye may find rest, each of you in the house of her husband? Really, Naomi? Naomi, what has been your whole experience in the land of Moab? Your whole experience is that there is no rest in the land of Moab. The land of Moab is the land of death. Your words to your daughters-in-law are vain and empty. You know better, Naomi. Why are you talking this way? You know why she talks this way, beloved? Because this is the effect of sin in one's life. This This is how things go when a person's spiritual integrity has been compromised by their sin. This is how things go when God God brings you to repentance and your repentance has an effect on earthly relationships that you've established that should never have been established in the first place. Naomi, with Elimelech, had chosen to forsake the land of Canaan for the bread of Moab. If they had never gone to the land of Moab, she wouldn't be in this difficult situation right now. But now here she is. After 10 years, she's got two daughter-in-laws who, as far as she can reasonably tell, unbelievers. As far as she can reasonably tell, they're Moabites. They've got their idled gods. She's got her true god. But now she's personally connected to these two women. And she does love them. She doesn't want them to live a life of abject poverty and loneliness in the land of Canaan. She she doesn't want that kind of life for them. But she knows she needs to repent. She knows she needs to return to the land of Canaan, no matter what, even if it means abject poverty for her. Again, the only reasonable judgment Naomi can make is that these girls are still Moabites in their hearts. She's got these two daughters-in-laws daughter-in-laws, who have no place in the congregation of Israel. The very Word of God speaks against their membership. What's she supposed to do? She's in an impossible situation. If they are Moabites at heart, they shouldn't go back to Israel. If they are Moabites at heart, their life in Israel will be wretched. So, What else can Naomi do but give them this bad advice to stay in Moab? She should call them to repentance, put their trust in Jehovah. She should have called them to leave their families and turn in true faith to Jehovah God, but instead, having a weak faith and concerned out of an earthly love for their earthly well-being, knowing that they don't belong to God's people as far as she can tell, 
she gives them devastating advice on spiritual matters. Stay in Moab, where your earthly life will be better. And it grieves her very much. She's, she's weeping. What else is she supposed to say? This is a sad situation. Isn't this the kind of thing that also happens today? Christians who do not do what is right the first time. Christians who do not insist on doing what they know God's Word requires of them. And as a result of that failure, they get caught up in personal relationships and hard situations that tug at their heartstrings and make it hard for them to do what is right and to tell others to do what is right. Christians who know they need to repent, they know they need to return to the Lord, but they feel like this is now an impossible situation. To do what is right is too hard. To do what is sinful, well, they know it's sinful. And what so often happens? What happens is exactly what Naomi did. You give bad advice. You compromise. Because in a sense, you've already been compromised. I think you know what I'm talking about. Friendships that should never have been established. Relationships that should never have been given the chance to develop. Winking at sin that should never have been winked at. And now we know things need to change in our lives. We need to repent. Naomi knew she needed to repent. But now the experience is painful and devastating. And sometimes compromises are made. Because otherwise, the experiences we feel would just be too unbearable. Too painful. That's exactly what Naomi is experiencing in her life. Her sins made it hard for her to say what truly needed to be said. At her very heart, and her very heart is being torn in two as she says these words. How devastating this experience must have been for her. She feels herself in an impossible situation, and she resorts to giving her daughters-in-law wretched advice. Her faith is weak. That's why she speaks the way that she does. But now my point in saying all of that is this. In spite of all of that, look at what Ruth does. Look at what Ruth does. Naomi is giving her bad advice. Naomi is the Christian who grew up in the Christian faith, giving Ruth, the Gentile, wretched advice. And Ruth is the Gentile who says to Naomi, Naomi, that's not right. Ruth says, I must worship the Lord. Ruth says, Naomi, don't stand in my way. Ruth stands up and tells Naomi just how it is. That's the beauty of Ruth's faith. I hope you see how astonishing Ruth's faith is. And interestingly, the name Ruth means beauty. Ruth here shows herself to be a spiritually beautiful woman. She's she's a woman with an amazing faith. And ultimately, think of this. What does Ruth believe? This is her astonishing faith. Ruth believes in her heart 
that even though she is a Moabite by birth, nevertheless, God, her heavenly Father, will make room for her in the land of Canaan because spiritually she is a child of Abraham. Though Naomi is weak in her faith, Ruth is confident of God's grace. Ruth is confident God will take care of me in the land of Canaan. I won't, I won't live in abject poverty. I don't believe so. God will provide my every physical need. God will prosper me in the land of Canaan. Naomi perhaps can't see how it's possible, but I can by faith. And then we also remember, where did this faith come from? Not from Ruth, but from God. This is God at work in her soul. This is the faith that God has purchased for His people through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. And this is the faith that God graciously gives to His people. And in this passage, God is giving it to a Gentile. And it's a wonder of grace. It's a wonder of God's grace. And and that's one of the lessons of the book of Ruth. Salvation unto the Gentiles. And and in order to teach us that, God shows us a Gentile who has an astonishing faith. Well, as we now stand back and look at this entire passage of Scripture, what else do we see? I think there is still an important lesson for us to draw out. And that lesson is this. If I am a child of God, then I must be with God's people. If I am a child of God, then I must be with God's people. If I love God, my life will be wretched if I am not part of His people. I think we see that in Naomi's experience in this whole passage. But I think we see it especially in Ruth's bold words to Naomi in verse 16, where where Ruth says, Thy people shall be my people. Ruth, as a converted child of God, had to leave Moab. The people of Moab weren't her true friends. They weren't her true spiritual family. Ruth must have Naomi's people as her people. Again, that's what Naomi experienced. I must go back to God's people, to my people, the church. And that's what Ruth understands right at the beginning of of her Christian walk. I must be with God's people. Naomi's people, the church. That's a lesson for us today. Sometimes Christians can adopt this kind of twisted mentality. Well, I can love God, and I can have my relationship with Jesus Christ, but I don't like God's people, and I will keep myself from them. Sometimes Christians will even say, I don't like God's people, and I can harbor resentment towards them and have bad thoughts about them. That's not the way it works. Sometimes Christians will say, I will worship God, but to join with His people, I'm not sure. After all, religion is such a personal thing between me and God, and it really doesn't involve anyone else besides me and God. 
No. That's the thinking of the world. That's not how Ruth talked. She understood. If Naomi's God was her God, then Naomi's people must also be her people. If she was united to God, then she was also united to God's people. She believed the communion of the saints. That's a reminder for us too. It's impossible to have a love for God without having a love for His people. And now as Ruth lives out of that faith and that conviction, what do we see in the book of Ruth? We're going to see that God blesses Ruth abundantly. As Ruth humbles herself very lowly and joins herself to God's people, a people of another nation who are not the same ethnicity as she is, and she joins herself to the life of God's people, God blesses her not just with a place among God's people, but God even blesses her with a central place among God's people. He includes her in the very line and generations of Jesus Christ. She, who was a Moabitess by birth, is now brought into the very center and heart of the church. The Lord blessed her. The Lord rewarded her act of faith. May we see that, beloved. May it move us to pray the Lord that he would give us that same kind of faith, that same kind of attitude, that same kind of humility, that same kind of discipleship that he gave Ruth. And in the midst of his church, and in the midst of his people, may we enjoy God's blessing as we do enjoy it. Amen. Let us pray. Our Father, this is a sweet story, an amazing story of redemption and of thy faithfulness and goodness and grace. May we see it. May it become real to us. May we see Naomi and Ruth walking from Moab to the land of Canaan. Two poor widows who've lost everything. And as they turn unto thee and walk in the way they know they must walk, may we also see, Father, and begin to see how thou are preparing to bless them. Thou art blessing them. This is thy work. And thou art going to bestow upon them abundant blessing. May we see and learn these lessons for ourselves. May we be given the same faith and discipleship and humility and attitude that thou didst give to Ruth. Give unto each one of us, we pray, a central place in thy church. May we be partakers 
of the fullness of life with Jesus Christ. And may it all move us to praise thy gracious and glorious name, for thou alone dost do all these things. We implore thee in the name of Jesus Christ, and we ask that thou wilt humbly write this word and even this preaching upon our hearts and in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.